0: Hello, so glad you could join us as we're in our series, I Love My Church. And we've been saying, if you don't have a church home, please consider making amazing love your church home. We think every Christian should not do Christianity alone, uh, but work through the bride, the church, um, and connect there. I'm so excited about our message today. It's the heartbeat of everything we do. It's the reason why we gather. It's the gospel, which is literally the good news of Jesus. So I hope God blesses you today uh, through the preaching of his word. Thank you. Dear friends, I invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless us. Heavenly Father, I have an awesome task before me. It's more incredible and more hard than the Bears playing the Cardinals today. My goal is to make sure they know how beautiful you are so that the gospel sinks in, so that they know how glorious you are, so they know how loving you are, how awesome. Lord, I don't have words. I'm not the man to do this, but I know your spirit can work through my feeble attempts so that they can even see half the greatness of who you are through the gospel. Let that happen today. Let them see a vision of who you are and let that peace be theirs as they see what the gospel truly is, as they look at their Savior, Jesus, Lord. Work on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, welcome to our series, I Love My Church. And I'm hoping you might love this church even more than you love your football team. Because it is here that God works through his word. It is here that lives and eternities are changed. And we've been saying, if you don't have a church home, please consider Amazing Love, your church home. Please consider joining a church and being a part of us here. But with that, I want to start by talking about a little TV. And I want to know how many of you have ever seen the show American Ninja Warrior? American, yeah, it's a phenomenon because who doesn't want to be a ninja, right? And adults like to play on playgrounds too. Right, and uh, I remember watching it last year, and they came across an obstacle called Cannonball Alley. Uh, here's what it looks like. Um, Cannonball Alley has these things that you gotta swing towards them and use your arms to try to get across. I'll never forget how many people were attempting it and just falling, falling, falling. They, they would use their arms, and, and usually by that third one, their grip strength would fail them. Right, and it was too big, and they've been using their muscles all the time, and and, and they were down. Right, until one dude. And this one dude took a totally different approach. While well, everyone else was grabbing it by their arms, there's a guy named Kevin Bull who just shocked everyone by what he did. And what he did is he used his legs. And then, he, and then he swung like this, you know, it was just crazy. And he was one of the only ones to get across that way because he took a different approach. Everyone else, their shoulders were failing him, but he used his legs, smart dude. And that was actually the way to do it. I talk about this. To talk about something more important, which is your approach to God. If you consider that the obstacle, how do I cross a chasm from where I am to where God is? How do we get there? And I want to let you know this. This is what I believe. That we naturally take the wrong approach. That just as it was common to use your shoulders and try to get across, it wasn't going to work. And what our wrong approach is summarized by is an SNL skit. I remember this guy, uh, Stuart Smalley and Michael Jordan. Daily affirmations. And what did Stuart Smalley try to convince Michael Jordan of? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Right? Right? Trying to convince myself of that before I preach to you. But anyway, uh, you know, and, and so what we do, the wrong approach is saying, God, you know, <laughs> God, I'm, I'm good enough. <laughs> God, I'm smart enough and doggone it. You like me, don't you? Or at least I hope right? And we try to be these spiritual affirmations like, I hope I'm good enough today, right? I, I hope you're pleased with me today. I, I hope I'm, I'm good to go. And part of what we do is we, we prop ourselves up against other people and we jockey for position. And we try to prove how good we are. Remind me of the Republican debate. You, you jockey for position by like, oh, you smoke marijuana. Look at me. I didn't do that, right? And so we look at other people and we say, I didn't do that. I must be pretty good. I didn't do what my neighbors do. I didn't do what my coworkers do. I must, I must be all right. I am good enough, aren't I? And then we're virtuous, aren't we? How many good parents are in the building? So we convince ourselves, I love my kids. I'm, I'm good enough. And I'm a hard worker, by the way. I'm good enough. And I volunteered. I'm even at amazing love today. I sure am good enough, right? The thing is, what's natural is broken. What's natural and intuitive will not get you across anyway. We see that in the the, the life of Martin Luther, a little bit of history. Luther, for a long time, thought that he had to be good enough. And because of this, he was was completely miserable. He knew at one point or another he wasn't good enough because he knew God's laws. And so he, he had misery and, and whenever we deal with, am I good enough, it always results in two things. First is that you're miserable because guilt will catch up with you and you will realize if you're honest that you didn't do everything that you should. Guilt will plague you and you will have no answer for it if your answer is to just try to be better. Another thing happens if you take this approach. You will always be uncertain of where you stand with God. If you're trying to be good enough, you don't know if he returns. Is he he proud of where you're good? Is he okay? Are you going to heaven based on your goodness? You will always be uncertain questioning your status with the Almighty. But there's a different approach. And that's why we gather today. It's called the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Gospel literally means good news. And the good news of Jesus is that he does what we couldn't do. That he did what we didn't do. That he took our test, gave us the A for us. We didn't even take the test. And the good news is so clearly seen in the cross. The gospel is that of a a Jesus who would die our death after living the perfect life we couldn't live and saying you are now set free. It's saying to you today, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, if he comes back to do through Jesus, you're okay. Through Jesus, right now, you are good. And so, if this is the first time you've ever joined us at Amazing Love, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you've come on the absolute best Sunday because we get to consider the gospel of Jesus. May God work in your hearts. Our lesson then is going to be taken from Romans chapter 3. And let me set this up a little bit historically. I told you about Martin Luther and he struggled. He was miserable about feeling if he was good enough, right? And and he was struck by Romans. In in fact, it was Romans that changed his life, this book. For for so long, he thought he had to do something. And then he read Romans and and he learned something about the righteousness of God. You see, at one point, he thought he had to make himself right. But it's through Romans that he, he learned that Jesus made him right. All through this phrase, the righteousness of God. And when he learned about what Jesus did, it's like the gates of heaven opened. When he learned it was all about his righteousness, it made sense. Let's consider what he was reading, Romans 3. We'll read the whole section and talk about it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And that was setting up a dichotomy where a righteousness that, that is gained through the law you know, so we're, we're right by what we do. So he says, apart from that mentality, apart from a salvation by works, I'm going to introduce something new. It's been made known. And the law and the prophets testify, it's a righteousness given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. Because there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one justifying those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word. If you're getting lost with me, don't worry. We're going to pause and explain these meaty, meaty words. And may God so work through this in your heart. Sometimes it's laughable to see how people blunder. And uh, a laughable story came out of Elgin, Illinois this past week. Uh, a maintenance crew is going to fertilize the football field in Elgin. Uh, they're at St. Edwards High School. But instead of using fertilizer, do you know what they used instead? Anyone hear this? Weed killer. Yeah. That is not going to help your grass. I have a picture for you of what it looked like. Um, there it is. And can you imagine that team, like, I wonder why it's not green and why is it all dying, right? And I I heard that it costs $200,000 of sod to actually fix that. Two That's a big blunder, isn't it? That's crazy. Hate to be that person. Can you imagine the shock and horror? Right? I saw another person's blunder this past week. You, you know when you go to baseball games and it's common to have fireworks when a home run goes? You know, the home team, you know, hit, hit a home run, fireworks. Well, it was in, in Cleveland, and the opposing team hit a, hit a home run and fireworks went off. <laughs> so uh, maybe a secret fan of the Royals, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I don't think he was a fan, though, because look at, look at, this was his reaction. And everyone was out of like, oh my goodness, right, feel bad. You ever blunder? I bring that up. You ever have something that is just so embarrassing? I remember I was in high school. You're always conscientious in high school. And I was going for pep band. I was going to play tuba. And I'm running across the gym and I'm going to jump up on the stage. But as I jump up, I don't jump high enough. And I just biff it. And everyone sees, right? You know, and I'm already geeky because I'm in band. But now I'm, now I'm biffed out, right? It's just horrible. You ever blunder? Well, I think blunder is a a common experience. And what is common to us um, in in a human standpoint is also common spiritually. And that is what the text is trying to say. That at one point or another, whether you recognize it or not, we have all spiritually blundered. We have all spiritually made mistakes. We have all sinned. Look at what verse 23 says. How many? For... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can we just say all together? One, two, three, all. Which means I'm not any different than you. You're a blunderer, I'm a blunderer. You don't match the holiness of God, I don't match the holiness of God. We have all done this, and and this is across every country, this is across every race, this is across every region. We are all just blunderers or sinners in the face of a holy God. What we don't always consider, though, is what our blunders merit. We heard 200,000 for a football field, but when's the last time you considered what your sins actually deserve? I was reading a book called The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler, trying to study up for you guys. And he's like, if you need to understand the gospel, you first need to understand the severity of God and his authority. In fact, he used this passage. He went to Romans and he said this Uh, Romans says, Therefore consider the kindness and the sternness of God. He's stern to those who fell, but kind to you. You see, there's this balance of his supreme justice to punish sinners. And His supreme grace to let sinners go free, and we live by grace and we operate by grace. That's the reason we've came. But sometimes we need to consider the other side, <laughs> don't we? We need to consider what we truly deserved. To talk about that, it's so clear from uh, Exodus chapter twelve. Let's let's consider that story. God was trying to get through to Pharaoh, saying, "Let the Israelites go out and worship." But Pharaoh every time said, nope," he'd say, "Yep, but nope, yep, but nope." And then finally the Lord hardened his heart because he had rejected his will. God punished that nation. He sent an angel of death to kill every firstborn, included Pharaoh's household and every servant household down the line. and he didn't make any bones about it. Where we would question God, in verse 12, he just said, "I am the Lord. I am the Lord." You can accept or not accept my authority, but I'm telling you I have this authority. I am the Lord. And the angel of death came. And you can imagine the devastation for those who had rejected his will, for Pharaoh who had hardened his heart and hadn't listened. You can imagine the devastation when the severity of God came in judgment on that. Dear friends, I need to be honest about the nature of God. He hates sin and he hates sinners. As clearly as the angel of death came for all those in Egypt, so clearly does he have hell awaiting, and clearly does he have eternal punishment waiting for those who have rejected him. This is the truth. I need to be crystal clear about that so that you know what is at stake. But the good news, the good news is there is an escape route. You see, in the Passover, they used the blood of the lamb. And every house that had the blood of the lamb, uh, the angel of death passed over. And they didn't fear about what God could do. Dear friends, I need to tell you about a better lamb. His name is Jesus. And because we cling to the cross, because he shed his blood for you, you need to know that though his severity is real, you don't fear it. Even though the death is coming, it passes over those who are covered through the blood of the Lamb. Those who cling through faith in Jesus. Jesus who would die our death and make us right before a holy God. This is the gospel. Verse 25, it said it this way. Look at verse 25. It said, God presented then Christ as a sacrifice of atonement because we needed a peace offering. So he was that sacrifice of atonement, made us at one with God through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or tolerance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. See, God, to be just, needs to punish evildoers. And he did it through the cross of Jesus. And we now are spared through the sacrifice of Jesus. How many of you used a basement this past week? We had tornado warnings here in Frankfurt. 5: 15 p.m. They existed or stopped, and some roof damage and things like that. But um, how awesome it is to have things like a basement? Because you know, even if a tornado does come, that basement is there to it goes right over you. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is your basement. Everything we learned about the severity of God passes right over those who are locked in the basement of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We don't fear what is coming because of him because we are found in him. Now at this point, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, I came to hear the gospel and there's a lot of law in this sermon. What's the deal? (laughs) Here's the reality. I believe you won't appreciate the beauty of the gospel until you see the severity of your sin. You see, a cancer treatment makes no sense for people who don't know they have cancer. (laughs) A crown uh, for your teeth makes no sense for those who think their teeth are good. But Jesus and his love means everything if I'm lost without him. If God is that judge who has the right to punish, I am lost without him. And his beauty then is seen in how he rescued me, is seen in how he does protect me and his blood covers me. But let's work that gospel out a little bit more. Let's work it out a little bit more. Let's get to the good stuff. Yesterday was an interesting day. I don't know if you knew about it. It was National Talk Like a Pirate Day. I uh, grew a beard, um, Blackbeard, the pirate, or whatever—I don't know—but um, and I love the favorite joke. I remember being a camp counselor, and, and what's a pirate's favorite letter? Army Métis. And, and I love donut shops, and there was one uh, great donut shop named Krispy Kreme that was giving free donuts to anyone who talked like a pirate. So, Army matey, I want a donut, you know, and then there you go, right? And, uh, and this is great. There's one in Elk Grove Village, by the way, if you need a Krispy Kreme. And, and look for the sign that says hot and fresh because it's always better. And how wonderful would it be if you go and say, Army Donut, you know, and, and they give you a donut? That's, that's a great thing, right? And what is it about free stuff? Anyone else like free? I love free. Anything free is great. But there's a thing about free. If if I try to pay for something that's free, it's no longer free, right? If I go to Krispy Kreme and they say, here it is, it's free, and then I give them a dollar bill, it's not free anymore. You either have free or you have paid for. You cannot have both, right? Right. I bring this up because the gospel is free, the gospel means you're right with God for free. This is the news, that, that you came in here today and you don't have to talk like a pirate and you don't have to say a prayer and you don't have to sing a song. You don't have to give a credit card. You don't have to uh, pray every night and every day. You don't have to climb the highest mountain or swim the deepest sea. You just have to know that this is yours for free. You're right with God for free. And if you ever think this is too easy and how could it be that good, I think that's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. Because it is that easy and it is that good. And I imagine what it was like working at Krispy Kreme yesterday and how fun it was to give out free donuts. You know, here you go. And and, and even more so is why I love being a pastor. Because I get a dole out and I don't even have to bake them. I don't have to glaze them. I just say, you're right with Jesus for free. You're right with God for free. You're right with God for free all through the blood of Jesus. How awesome is this? It's a gospel. This is why when I tell guests and visitors to come here, I I literally, literally, from the bottom of my heart, because I know God's heart, we don't want anything from you. Anything. Because it's free. And if you try to give us something, then it's not free anymore. It's paid for. And God doesn't want anything from you. It's free. All he wants you to do is say, wow, that's awesome. Wow, I love free stuff. That is the heart of the gospel. To know it is absolutely free. Free of charge. And you could not pay for it. That's the only way this works. But if it's truly free, then it correlates with something else. If it's truly free, I can take no credit for it. So look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, Where then is boasting? Well, if it's free, it's excluded. Because I didn't do anything for it, I didn't win it, I didn't prove how I was right, I just took the free gift. This is great. About freeness, Paul put it this way. Grace is a gift, and if you try to pay for a gift, it's no longer grace. Grace, it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Free is not free if you paid for it. The gospel is free. But if you've heard this gospel before, there are a few temptations. There are a few temptations. Let's be real about it. One of the temptations is to be, or to show contempt with what is familiar. You know what I'm saying? You ever heard familiarity breeds contempt? And there's this an idea that, that sometimes we forget the riches that were ours in Christ. And we just say, well, yeah, it's just the way it is. And we don't even appreciate what God gave us for free. And to speak more on this, I want to talk about um, an entitlement mentality. Have you ever heard that someone was entitled we talk about that someday, sometimes with kids. We, we talk about kids with like silver spoons and, you know, this entitled mentality. You know, and so what, what's an example of entitled? Well, let's say it's a family that goes out to eat and the, the child doesn't say thank you, you know, for a gourmet burger or whatever it was or pizza or awesome, you know, and they're just like, well, yeah, that's what we do in our family. So I'm not going to say thank you. Just come to expect that. In this family, we go out to eat on Friday and it's awesome, but this is what we do, right? Or maybe it's a birthday gift. And, and a child has, has learned that whenever he asks for something, he gets it. And so when he gets his birthday gift, instead of saying thank you, instead of saying, wow, this is awesome, he's like, well, yeah, I asked for it. Hello. Um, I get what I asked for around here, right? I deserve this. <laughs> you know, and, and this is a little bit of an entitlement mentality that, that instead of looking at privileges um, and, and over and above, we look at him like, yeah, we deserve that by Right. Are we who have heard the gospel, are we ever guilty of having an entitlement mentality? Or do we ever feel entitled to the gospel? And what I mean is, have you lost your passion? Have you taken for granted the grace of God? Do you feel that it's just always going to be there and so you can do whatever you want? Or do you hold on to it? as the prize that it is. There's a passage I was coming across uh, with my wife this past week. She brought it up. The passage said this. It said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. Which means there could come a time when he isn't found. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been out of this country. Anyone ever been out of this country? Have you noticed that not every country has a Christian subculture? Have you noticed how lucky we are to hear about Jesus so regularly? You almost have to hide under a rock not to hear the gospel of Jesus. It isn't the case everywhere. He isn't found so readily everywhere. There's cultures that say, if you're a Christian, I'm against you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Or I consider this passage. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Which if he's asking, don't take your spirit from me, there could be a time where he does take his spirit from me. Do you know you reject him long enough, he could reject you as well? That's the story of Israel. The story of the northern kingdom, the story of many people through faith. You reject him long enough, he can reject you as well. And it might get to a point where you no longer care about what he thinks. Do we ever feel entitled to the gospel? He's always going to be there. I'm always going to want it. I can always just go back. We have another way of looking at the gospel. I think it should be like winning the lottery. Can you imagine if you won the lottery and and Illinois could pay you? But anyway, uh, can you imagine if you had that ticket in your hand and you had like, it's worth $5 million? How how firmly would you hold on to that ticket? Would you let that ticket just like lay in your car somewhere? Would you be like, okay, I'm going to put it in my room and sometime I'm going get around to cashing it in? No, I think I'd be all about the ticket. Make sure it's, you know, before me until I hand it in and get my money, right? You know, this is kind of like the gospel. How awesome to know I have Jesus and his love covering me, but I am going to hold on to this ticket. Because out of all the people in the world, I know the gospel. And the Spirit has worked that in my heart. There's no way I'm going to take for granted this ticket that I hold in him. I'm not going to let it go. The gospel is that good. But there's a final thing I want to talk about when it comes to the gospel. And the gospel finally means it's done. This past week I was working on a house project. Um, I moved into a house a year ago and and, and for a year I've known there was a project to be done. I had to change a gas dryer vent. This is what was going on. Um, We had some condensation around there and had to change that and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, through the help of someone here, uh, Mike, thank you very much, uh, <laughs> we change it to that. And I love it because this has been weighing on me for a year. And every time you go to the laundry, you're like, oh, I've got to do that. You know, you ever been there? You know, oh, there it is, you know. But now I go to the laundry room, and I'm like, I don't think about it. It's done, right? I don't even care what's happening over there, you know? It's, it's done. It's out of my mind because I've finished the project. You, you know the joy of finishing a presentation, a project, a work week, you know? I love just putting stuff on the shelf, Right? Don't got to touch that or see it again. Don't have to learn about Walt Whitman and any more of his poems because I graduated. Yeah. All right. You know what I'm talking about? You need to know the gospel means it's all done. You you see, it is good for us at church to talk about what we should do in response of God. Sometimes we talk about your prayer life or your devotional life. Sometimes we talk about battling over sin. Sometimes we talk about, you know, serving and giving and all these great things. But you need to know the gospel means done regardless. And good regardless. That today you're good regardless of the status of your prayer life because of Jesus. You're good regardless of how you serve or give because of Jesus. We battle against sin and it's so exhausting sometimes, but I love just resting in this knowledge that I'm good. I'm good, regardless if I win that battle, if I lose that battle, or anywhere in between. If you have an addiction, if you have a pet sin, it doesn't matter because the gospel means you're good, regardless of your progression, regardless of where you end up, you're good to go because it's done. This is awesome good news. And so I don't want to give you any homework today. Don't don't think about anything, just... Just know you're good through Jesus and then then love him back. Just rest in that. The gospel is a teacher saying, kids, there's no homework for the weekend because Jesus, he did it all for us. How great is he? Rest in that. That you are good regardless of how far you get in your battles, regardless of what you do, regardless of anything that you have done. Jesus made you right with God. This is the good news. Amen. Please stay. And the peace of God.